beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is holy, untainted by evil. He calls his people to be holy too. And that being the case, how can we live in a right relationship with God? That's an important question. Being Christians doesn't mean we are perfect. We all have weaknesses and sin in our lives. And this problem has occupied people's thoughts throughout the centuries. Luther, one of the reformers in the 16th century, wrestled long and hard with this question. He knew he was a sinner. And how can a sinner be sure of salvation? By trying harder not to sin? By doing good works? The answers that the Roman Catholic Church in Luther's days gave him didn't remove his feeling of uncertainty. And Luther did his utmost to live a holy life. He testified concerning himself, I was a good monk, and I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me will bear me out. If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, reading, and other work. All these efforts didn't help to eliminate Luther's sense of his own unworthiness. Luther realized that even his best efforts were not enough to satisfy the demands of God's law. He studied, studied this scripture for years before he understood sinners can't earn salvation in any way. We must trust in Jesus Christ alone to be purified from all sin. That's the way to lasting fellowship with God. Our text for this morning highlights this truth. And let's examine it under the following theme. Do you really have fellowship with God? And we'll focus on two points. The test of this fellowship. And secondly, the comfort of this fellowship. Do you really have fellowship with God? We'll focus on the test of this fellowship and secondly, the comfort of this fellowship. Last month, we focused on the opening verses of this first letter of the Apostle John. And we saw that in this letter, he is addressing a crisis in the churches. False teachers have been exerting their influence. They claim to have fellowship with God, but it's a false claim. They deny Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. They don't acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And this false doctrine has serious consequences. 
If Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh, how can we speak of his atoning sacrifice for the salvation of sinners? Without an atoning sacrifice for sinners, how can anyone have fellowship with God? And for this reason, right from the beginning of his letter onwards, the Apostle John has emphasized his authority as eyewitness of Jesus Christ. And please open your Bibles to 1 John 1 if you haven't done this already or if your Bible isn't already open. The Apostle explains that his testimony is about that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He also states his purpose in passing on his proclamation. Look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship is a key word in this first chapter. He uses the word twice in verse 3 and twice in our text, in the verses 6 and 7. And the fellowship John is discussing has two aspects. First, there's fellowship with God. And then there is fellowship with each other. Verse 6 focuses on fellowship with God. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And that continues the thought expressed in verse 3, where John says, Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Do you have fellowship with God? And before you can say yes to this, you must understand who God is. We learn to know the Father through Jesus Christ the Son of God. And the Apostle John has already made a statement about this in John 1, verse 18. Now I'm talking about the Gospel according to John. John 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. What do you know about the Father through Jesus Christ? Perhaps your first thought is about the love of the Father. And it's good to think of that. But if you only focus on God's love, you have not understood the wider scope of his revelation through Jesus Christ. The Father sent his Son to save sinners from judgment. And this means that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for sinners not only shows God's love, but also his justice. If we want to understand something of the amazing love of God, we need to accept what our Savior reveals about God's righteousness 
and holiness. At the beginning of our text for this morning, the Apostle John refers to a specific message from Jesus Christ about God. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John isn't expressing his own opinion here. As a faithful apostle, he is passing on the words of Jesus Christ. And those words, therefore, have divine authority. The message is very essential. In the scripture passage we read, the Lord Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. In our text, he gives us a message concerning the Father. God is light. Believe both statements. God is light. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is also light. If we doubt the self-testimony of our Savior, we will also doubt his words concerning the Father. But if we believe him, we will echo the words of the Nicene Creed concerning Jesus Christ. He is God of God. Light of light. Very God of very God. Begotten, not made. Being of one substance with the Father. By whom all things were made. God is light. Jesus Christ knew what he was talking about. Take his words seriously. And these words apply equally to him as the Son of God and to the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit is, together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. We must understand something of who God is. And then it becomes easier to know why certain conditions must be met before fellowship with God can either begin or be continued. God is light. That's a very profound and also unsettling statement. It puts us in our place. If the apostle had begun by saying here, God is love, we might feel comfortable, perhaps too comfortable. We tend to favor words that portray God as a God of love. However, it's important for us to see that he is light before we can understand his love properly. Our conception of God as a God of love must include the idea of God as light. And there's a connection between God being light and his holiness. We can conclude this because the opposite of light in verse 5 of our text is darkness. That is the darkness of sin. The darkness where there is no truth but only lies. Because God is light, he hates the darkness of sin. The Lord says, be holy, for I am holy. 
Are you in awe of how holy God is? Does this affect your life? Are you striving to be holy? Or do you continue to cherish various sins, counting on God's love to pull you through no matter what you do? Never allow your knowledge of the love of God lead you to forget his holiness. The apostle gives us a test so that we may know if we really have fellowship with God or not. Now, what's the test? We find it in 1 John 1 verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We must not only know what the truth is, we must practice the truth that must be visible in our lives. Jesus put it like this in John 3, the verses 20 to 21. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What's your attitude to the Father who is light? Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ who is also the light? Do you pray to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ? Do you read God's word to love him more and serve him better? Do you ask for the forgiveness of sins? Do you ask God to guide and strengthen you with his word and spirit? Those are tests of true fellowship with God. Does your life show that you do what is true, faithful to the will of God. In Ephesians 5, the verses 8 to 10, the Apostle Paul exhorts us, For at, what time, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right, and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. God calls us to respond to his direction. Love him and obey him for who he is. He is light. Avoid walking in darkness. Stop saying things you know he would not approve of. Never go to where he would not want you to be. Don't do things you know would offend God who is light. Avoid even entertaining thoughts about sin. If you play around with sinful thoughts, you'll eventually start doing sinful things. 
And James warns us in James 1 verse 5, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. If we are not walking in the light, we are walking in the darkness. And walking in darkness describes the basic direction of someone's life. Not incidental sins. Someone who walks in darkness persists in sin. There's no humbling of oneself before God in prayer and no real repentance. Such a person is lying if he or she claims to have fellowship with God. The point in our text isn't that we should be able to lead perfect sinless lives. John excludes that train of thought by saying in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. No Christian can honestly claim to be sinless. Such a claim would be self-deception. It would be a lie. And John reiterates the same thought in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. God himself declares that we still sin. And saying this, that this is not so, means we are rejecting God's assessment of ourselves, And we're calling him a liar. How do you lead a holy life? A holy life is one in which you persistently try to please God, living according to his will. You know God is light. Then pray for the guidance of his word and spirit, that you may walk in the light as he is in the light. And you can't do this on your own. But you can with the guidance and strength that God promises to give to those who ask him for that. Do you pass the test of fellowship with God? If you don't, it's time to repent. Walk with him in the light of his word. And then you will know of the comfort of this fellowship. And this is our second point. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. What an emphatic statement that is. The first part of the statement is positive. God is light. The second part of the statement highlights the preceding words in a negative form. It would already have been clear if the Apostle John had said, in him is no darkness. But he puts it even more strongly than that. In him there is no darkness at all. It's essential to understand and receive those words in faith. 
the statement forms a vital reason for trusting in God. Walking in the light not only means fellowship with God, we share in his grace together. He has adopted us to be his children. We are brothers and sisters who journey through life together. And this is part of the riches of our faith. Look at verse 7 again. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. What a gift. Treasure the fellowship that we have. If we isolate ourselves from the community of faith, something is wrong. Don't skip attending worship services. Come when you can. These are times of fellowship with God and each other. And don't take off as soon as you can after the services. Instead, take time to connect with each other. And be hospitable, inviting people over to your homes. That's part of having fellowship with each other. Enjoy these times that we have together each Sunday. Our holy God has established a covenant of grace with us. And within this bond, he grants life, light, and salvation. God is light. And once we've understood something of his holiness and his love revealed through Jesus Christ, those words are very reassuring. And this is especially the case if we reflect on how the Apostle John emphasizes this. Remember, he not only proclaims the message that God is light, he also stresses that there's no darkness at all in God. And by putting it in this way, he is teaching us to draw a conclusion. Never attribute wickedness to God. He does no wrong. He is perfect and good. And there's comfort in those words. Sometimes things happen in our lives that put our faith in God to the test. We may wonder where God is. Why does he allow such things to happen? Where is his goodness? Our text should help stop such thoughts. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. He cares about us. Don't suspect him of harboring evil intentions. We don't always understand why certain things happen. There may be darkness all around us and even in us. And then especially, learn to look to him. For God is light. Let your difficulties become reasons to draw nearer to him. In Psalm 27, verse 1, David says, The Lord, and David uses the covenant name of God here, The Lord is my light and my salvation. 
Whom shall I fear? We know David experienced many difficulties in life. Saul and others mistreated him. Once David became king, he had to confront enemies, some of whom were his own relatives. Think of how Absalom grieved the heart of his father. Psalm 27 speaks of evildoers advancing against David, adversaries and foes attacking him, and even an army besieging him. And yet David finds security knowing that God is his light and his salvation. He doesn't accuse God of having a dark side. He continues to trust in him as his savior. And faced with many difficulties, he therefore concludes on a note of confidence, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Part of our problem is that we want a quick fix to our problems. Or at least a quick answer to our questions. Be patient. Trust that God will do nothing unjust. In him there is no darkness at all. Always be confident of his care. People may harm us in various ways. Circumstances may fill us with grief. Yet don't despair. We have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from his love. It will even triumph over death. Other scripture passages express the same sense of security. In Psalm 36, David speaks of the love of the Lord, his faithfulness, and his righteousness. He marvels at how the Lord gives refuge to those who are high and low among men. And there's an abundance of blessings for such people. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Psalm 36 verse 9. God is holy. And when we respect that, we will learn to stand in awe of his grace. He calls us to be holy because he is holy. And the good news is that through Jesus Christ, God also grants us the holiness we need. Reflect further on verse 7 of our text. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And the word blood reminds us of the violent death Jesus went through on the cross. There he suffered intense pain in body and soul, enduring the punishment we deserved. What does this mean? It means that by his death on the cross, Jesus has obtained life for us. When you ask God for forgiveness, you may therefore be sure you also receive it. 
Our sins truly offend God who is holy. Repenting of them involves turning away from sin and learning to walk in His ways. And we do that by grace alone, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We only have a small beginning of this new obedience in this life. And that's why we need to confess our sins again and again. It isn't easy to break with sinful patterns of thought and behavior in our lives. We have a continual struggle to wage against the devil, the world, and our own flesh. But the beginning of progress is there. We have been sinners and continue to sin. But don't let this lead you to despair. In verse 7, John speaks of being cleansed from all sin. That includes sins of the past, present, and future. Take comfort from the hope that our God gives us in our text. And verse 9 encourages us further to trust in God's grace. There are two things to pay attention to in this regard. If we confess our sins, John writes, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And note that John speaks in the present tense of confessing our sins. If he had meant to suggest that we can now be sinless, he would have spoken in the past tense. He would have spoken of us having confessed our sins in the past and having received forgiveness. But he speaks of this confession of sin as something that goes on now and in the future. John is expressing a general truth. As long as we live, we will need to confess our sins to God. And we do that with the desire to have Him forgive us. And do you know what else to pray for? What do we need besides forgiveness? God wants us to lead holy lives. We must therefore desire to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And that includes what? It includes sinful attitudes, inclinations, and thoughts. When we repent, that's a sign of the power of God's grace in our lives. He also guarantees our ultimate victory. He will complete his work of grace. Never forget the goal expressed in verse 9 of our text. Our gracious God intends to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God cleanses us of all our sin and all our unrighteousness. And those are very reassuring words. Meditate on them. Memorize these verses of our text if you have doubts about your salvation. It took years for Luther to understand this. 
He wrestled with terms like the righteousness of God. At first, he could only see God's righteousness leading to judgment for sinners. It wasn't until later that he understood that God's righteousness lies at the root of salvation through Jesus Christ. Our Savior bore God's just punishment for our sins. Our holy, righteous God gives us what we need. And he will do more than only forgive us in response to our confession of sins. He also removes the power that sin has over us. And this means that by his grace, we are no longer slaves to sin. Does that surprise you? It's part of the comfort of belonging to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We confess in Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism that He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. And this means that the devil is no longer our master if we have taken refuge in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our God opens the way for us to live in eternal fellowship with Him. Isaiah chapter 60 describes this fellowship with God in terms of light. And the scene is one of overwhelming grace. The Lord promises to bring His people back from their exile from the promised land. The punishment for their sins will end. There will be a new future for them. The picture transcends anything that we can imagine in this world of sin. Heavenly glory lies ahead of God's people. In Isaiah 60, verse 20, we read, Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. Stating that God is light and that sorrow will end implies that God will be the source of eternal joy. Our God forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He does that through Jesus Christ. What a blessing. What a comforting perspective that gives us. Thanks be to God for the gift of His grace through Jesus Christ. By grace, we see His light shining in the darkness of our sin and misery. And through Jesus Christ, we receive cleansing from all unrighteousness. We may walk in the light now and look forward to having fellowship with God forever. Amen.